0: Greetings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Sunday School lesson for the fourth Sunday after the Epiphany of our Lord. That's for January 29th, 2023. And our gospel reading is Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. This is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the first of Jesus' long sermons found in Matthew. And of course, Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12 is pretty familiar because this includes the Beatitudes, the series of blessings that Jesus speaks. We hear the Beatitudes every year when we observe All Saints Day. And then once every three years, it's also in the middle of Epiphany on the 4th, Sunday of that season. So today we're going to look at Matthew chapter five, verses one through twelve, along with a quick look at the Old Testament lesson for this Sunday from Micah chapter six, verses one through eight. Now the Beatitudes are a series of blessings. Each one, of course, starts out with with the word blessed. Um, in in the Greek, the word for blessed here is is makarios, which can mean happy or blessed or saved or redeemed. And in fact, when Matthew uses the word makarios in his gospel, he's leaning towards the saved or redeemed meaning of blessed here. Um, I know that some have tried to take the Beatitudes and say, well, since blessed means happy, then following these instructions will make you happy. So, if you're poor in spirit, you'll have a happy life, etc. That may be true for some. That may not be true for others. But this isn't about some sort of emotional happiness. This is about being blessed by God. And to be blessed by God is to be saved, to be redeemed in Christ. So, Jesus has begun his ministry. He's been baptized. He's dealt with the devil in the wilderness. He's called his his first disciples and performed his first miracles. And now chapter 5 begins with, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So, the Sermon on the the Mount begins with Jesus sitting down to teach, and the question remains, who is Jesus teaching? There are a couple of options here. One is that because Jesus sees the crowds below, he isolates himself on the mountain to speak only to his disciples— The other thought is, and this is the one that you see in most artwork of the Sermon on the Mount, is that Jesus sits down to teach his disciples, and the crowds gather around him. Does it matter? Probably not. However, we do want to keep the distinction always that that the twelve disciples will be the apostles— well, not Judas, but eleven of the twelve disciples will be apostles, whom Jesus sends as as kind of the first pastors of the New Testament church to carry on his work of, of proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God. So now, in the uh, in the next verses, Jesus will begin the Sermon on the Mount by speaking these beatitudes. There are nine of them, and while they all begin with blessed, they do kind of have an organization and a connection. In fact, as we look at these briefly for the next few minutes, we find that the first four Beatitudes are about gathering the people into the kingdom of God, gathering, gathering them into God's family, if you will. And once they are believers, once they are gathered in among God's people, then the next five Beatitudes are about who they are in Christ as his redeemed people. So in verse 2 of Matthew 5, we read, And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Verse 3 and following, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, For they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So those are the four beatitudes or blessings about Jesus gathering people into the kingdom. The first one, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's helpful here that that the Lord mentions poor in spirit, and Luke he just says poor, but these are the poor who are in need of of grace. They're poor in spirit in that they're they're in need of forgiveness. In fact, a few times within the Beatitudes, Jesus is is um, reflecting Isaiah chapter sixty one. And Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 7 is a prophecy about the Messiah and his role as the suffering servant. And Isaiah 61 verse 1 begins, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Jesus is anointed as the Messiah publicly at his baptism. That's when the Spirit of the Lord God descends upon him as well. And now here he is preaching good news to the poor, namely the poor in spirit. And the message is, theirs is the kingdom of God. Remember from our last podcast that Jesus has come to proclaim the kingdom, and like like a um, like a wedge being driven into a stump to split it apart, the kingdom of heaven is is already now um, entering into our time, and 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 continues to enter into this world until Christ returns again in glory and ushers in a new heaven and a new earth, because Jesus is here in Matthew chapter 5, because the King of heaven is present, the kingdom of heaven has come with the King. So, when Jesus speaks of blessed are the poor in spirit, he's speaking of those who need the good news preached to them of salvation, and that's what he's here to do. In fact, that is what he's doing as he proclaims these beatitudes, Because the king is there, the kingdom of heaven is theirs, and so Jesus is saying to those who are poor in spirit that day, blessed are you because the kingdom is yours, because I am here as the king. This isn't a future thing for those who trust in Jesus, for those who belong to the king. The kingdom of heaven is theirs already, even if they and we won't see it until the resurrection on the last day. So the Beatitudes are off to this fantastic start. Are you poor in spirit? Do you you know your need for good news? Do you know your need for the king and his kingdom? Blessed are you. The king has come and the kingdom of heaven is yours. That's the first Beatitude. It's also kind of the lens through which we should hear the rest of the Beatitudes, because all the rest are about what it means to be gathered into the kingdom of heaven and to live within the kingdom of heaven. So, the second Beatitude is, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, back to Isaiah chapter 61 again. Because we had before the spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. And then the end of verse two, to comfort all who mourn. So again, with his second beatitude, Jesus is proclaiming to the people that he is the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 61. He brings good news to the poor, and now he declares comfort for all who mourn. What is their comfort? Well, these are the ones who are mourning because sin and its curse bring grief Sin and its curse bring consequences and afflictions and finally death. As long as we live in this world, then we we face sadness. We face mourning. Mourning is, in fact, inevitable in this world. And so Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This one isn't present tense. It's future tense. This comfort is finally given, finally achieved on the last day at the resurrection when sorrow and sighing will be no more. So put the first two Beatitudes together. The first one is Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's present tense. That's now. Because you trust in the king, the kingdom is yours. And that's hope and that's comforting. But if you want real comfort, final comfort, that comes on the last day. Blessed are those who mourn as those who belong to the kingdom, because they shall be comforted. The third beatitude then, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This one is interesting because, um, because this is not an attitude. It's not people saying... If I work hard enough at being meek, then I'll, I, will, uh, I will inherit the earth. Um, rather, this is a condition. These are humble people. Why are they humble people? Why are they meek people? Because they've been brought into the kingdom of heaven. They know that they are children of God. They, they, they have great reverence for God and his might and his holiness. And so what's left for those who aren't God? Meekness. Rejoicing in God's mercy, they're happy to serve. And Jesus declares to them, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And that sounds strange because it's usually those who are not meek who conquer kingdoms and and, and grab land. But Jesus says, no, the meek inherit the earth. The earth, the new heaven and the new earth is what he's talking about, um, which which comes in the last day. Even though they are powerless here, God will give them that inheritance. And in fact, back to Isaiah 61, one more time, near the end of that, uh, near the end of that prophecy, the Lord declares to his people instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. A double portion of what? A double portion of land. So, so now to the powerless, now to the powerless, rather, um, the Lord declares, "You'll get your double portion. In fact, you will inherit the new earth. Why? Because they've been gathered into the kingdom. Because they have the hope that on the last day their mourning will be taken away, and now they have." They they inherit the new earth, which also, by the way, indicates a bodily resurrection, a physical existence. Because if you're just some spirit floating around somewhere, what do you need a new earth for? So now for, for Jesus' hearers, they have the kingdom... They have the hope of being comforted. They have the hope of of a new home at the resurrection. And then Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Being meek, being powerless, they're in need. The fact that they hunger and thirst for righteousness mean they don't have it. Blessed are those who know they don't have it because they look to Christ for what they do not have. So those are the first four Beatitudes. Before they are gathered into the kingdom, they are poor in spirit, they are mourning without comfort, they're meek, they're powerless, and they have no righteousness, But because Christ comes and gathers them into his kingdom, now the kingdom is theirs. They have comfort on the last day. They have um, the inheritance of the new earth on the last day. And the Lord satisfies them with his own righteousness. So now they are in the kingdom of heaven. Then we move on to the next five Beatitudes, which are blessings for those Who are in the kingdom of heaven, who are are now united with Christ. So, verse 7 Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, this describes the state of Jesus' disciples. Because they are his disciples, they receive mercy. And because they are his disciples who receive mercy, that mercy produces fruit within them and they are merciful to others. So having been brought into the kingdom by God's mercy, now they show mercy to those around them. Likewise, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God." Now, this one is kind of a nod to Psalm 24, verse 4, which asks, Who can enter God's house and stand in his holy place? And the answer is, the pure in heart and hand. Here, Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, which is certainly true in Psalm 24, that the one who is is pure can stand before God. What's great in the context of the Beatitudes is that those who are in the kingdom, who are sitting there listening to Jesus teach, their hearts are pure by His grace. And as they look at Jesus, they are seeing God in the flesh. So, shown mercy, they are now merciful, made pure in heart, they want to follow Jesus, so they see God. Then verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Those who are in the kingdom then bring peace to others. And and um, this might be specifically for the 11 disciples who will be apostles later on, because remember at the resurrection in John chapter 20, um, Jesus appears to the disciples that evening in the locked room, and his first words are, peace be with you, and then receive the Holy Spirit as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So Jesus makes peace with the eleven. And he tells them that he's sending them to declare his peace to others. And that is certainly foreshadowed by this beatitude. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. God has made peace with his people. Now they want to share that peace, that news of forgiveness with others. And they are called sons of God or children of God. Jesus says sons of God, and and perhaps there are two reasons for this. One is that in in first century Judea, it was the the son who got the inheritance. And so, um, since both men and women um, who trust in Christ inherit the kingdom of God, they they are, in that sense, both sons of God because they both receive the inheritance. Maybe a, a better idea than that yet, though, is that we have the kingdom of heaven through Christ, the only begotten Son of God. We wear the righteousness of the Son of God, and so because we are we are clothed in His righteousness, um, perhaps um, that is why we are called all. We are all called sons of sons of God because we we are entering the kingdom in Christ the only begotten Son. At any rate, um, whether this is to the disciples specifically or to all believers, because God has shown peace to us, we then speak his peace to others, and as they believe, then peace is made between them and God. Verse 10 then, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So this is kind of a a turn in the Beatitudes. We've just learned that those who are in the kingdom of heaven are merciful to others, they're pure in heart, and they make peace because God has been merciful to them, because God has purified them, and God has made peace with them. And now we find that those who are in the kingdom of heaven will be persecuted. This will be um, true for many of Jesus' disciples. When you think of of the apostles, only one dies of old age. That's St. John. Um, The others all die. Um, The death of martyrs who are put to death, executed for, for their faith. And it should not surprise us if we face suffering or persecution for following Jesus because Jesus faced persecution for being Jesus. He was crucified by sinners and thus died for our sins. To those who face persecution, Jesus says, remember, you're still blessed because you're in the kingdom and the kingdom of heaven is yours. In the meantime, don't think that you'll have this triumphal, trouble-free life in this world, but you might well face suffering specifically for being a Christian. Nevertheless, blessed are you, the kingdom of heaven is yours, and that lasts forever. Then finally, the last beatitude And Jesus switches here from the third person, blessed are those, or blessed are the, to blessed are you, the second person. So he's certainly speaking to the disciples who are are listening to him, his kind of inner circle. And he says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So once again, to the disciples especially, Jesus says, you will be reviled and you will be persecuted because you are speaking in my name. But remember this. That's how they treated the prophets before you. So there's there's already precedent, if you will, for persecution. And second, true for the prophets and true for you, you are still blessed because you are mine. All right, so the, the, the first four Beatitudes described gathering people into the kingdom. And the next five Beatitudes then describe life within the kingdom for the people of God. They're merciful, they're pure in heart, they make peace, and they may well be persecuted and suffer, but they are still blessed because they belong to Jesus, they belong to the King, and so the kingdom is theirs. With that then, a quick look at Micah chapter 6 verses 1 through 8, This is the Old Testament lesson that goes along with this gospel reading on the fourth Sunday after the Epiphany. And it it begins with, with this. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth... For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. So as you know, um, God and his chosen people, Israel, in the Old Testament, have this, this fractious relationship. He brings them out of Egypt. He leads them through the wilderness. He gives them the promised land. He promises that it is theirs as long as they stay faithful to him. And constantly they grumble, they complain, they rebel against Him. And so finally in this text, the Lord declares to to creation His indictment against His people. And what He declares is this, "'O my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me!' For I brought you up from the land of Egypt, and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember what Balak king of Moab devised, and what Balaam the son of Beor answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. So, The people have rebelled against God. Has God given them cause to reject Him? Absolutely not. Throughout the Old Testament, and especially he focuses on the Exodus, the Lord has only acted with goodness and mercy towards His people. He brought them out of Egypt. He redeemed them from slavery. He saved them from death at the hands of Pharaoh and his armies. He gave them leaders with Moses and Arian and Miriam. When Balak, king of Moab, um, sent uh, Balaam, the prophet, to curse them, the Lord instead uh, moved Balaam to bless them. From from, From beginning to end, from Shittim to Gilgal, the Lord acted righteously towards his people for their good. And what did they do? They rebelled against him. So, that's the Lord's indictment. Essentially, I've redeemed you and you've rebelled against me. How will you respond? And here's the response of the penitent in Micah chapter 6, starting at verse 6 With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And the answer to all these questions is no, that won't do it. Burnt offerings and sacrifices will not make up for sin. It will not take sin away if it's done with the thought of, um, I will earn God's righteousness by my work of sacrifices. Even if it's the sacrifice of a thousand rams and ten thousand rivers of oil, that's not enough to atone for my sin. Can I make up for my sin by offering my firstborn as a sacrifice? And that's a poignant question because rebellious Israelites actually sacrificed their children to the false god Molech. The Lord here is is not interested in us sacrificing children. And in fact, um, the irony here is that he gives his only begotten son to die on the cross for us. So no human work of earning God's favor will do the trick and get rid of sin. So, the closing verse of our Old Testament lesson is this, He, the Lord, has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? So, one might say, Oh, so rather than make sacrifices, I have to do works of justice, works of kindness, and works of humility, and then I will earn God's favor by my works. And that is not what the Lord is saying here. Because we just learned in the Beatitudes that you have to be brought into the kingdom by God's work before you can be merciful or pure or any of these other things. So if you're going to do justice... If you're going to act righteously, first, God has to make you righteous by bringing you into his kingdom. If you're going to love kindness as you should, first, you must receive God's love for you. First, you must receive God's kindness for you. In other words, first, God must bring you into his kingdom before you can love kindness as you should. Before you can walk humbly, the Lord must first bring you into his kingdom. And once you are in his kingdom, then you can walk humbly before your God. For then you are a penitent soul, trusting in his grace. So Micah 6, 1-8 sets aside any thought that we earn forgiveness or righteousness by, by making up for our sins with offerings or sacrifices or work. And then it announces the good news that we can do justice and love kindness and walk humbly because God first brings us into his kingdom. Because God first gathers us in and shows us his kindness to us. Forgiven and loved, we then can go and forgive and love others, which is what Jesus says in the last five Beatitudes of the Gospel reading. All right, that's a quick look at the gospel lesson and Old Testament reading for Epiphany 4, January 29. The Lord grants you every good gift in your further meditations on this text. The Lord bless you if you are teaching this to others. And until we speak again, the peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen.